0: I'm sure you're aware of the fact that there are some serious efforts being made, millions of dollars being spent to search for intelligent life out there somewhere in the universe. Uh, Again, I don't think that's any news to you. We know that NASA and other government agencies and probably other governments themselves uh, are in the business of trying to find extraterrestrial intelligent life. Uh, They're big listening devices that have been constructed and they operate those things 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, constantly pointing toward the outer space, trying to capture any signal that might be coming back. You know, there's a lot of background noise in the universe, but there may be a signal there that's coming from some intelligent life and people have decided it's very important for us to try and find out what that is to to get some sign that there's life out there and also the idea is that if there is life out there we want to know and we want to know what they have to say to us and so there's great effort being put forth to listen and pick up any signs of this intelligent life we got a news flash for all those people who are involved in that sort of thing there is intelligent life out there and you're not going to find it with a uh and special antennas or radios or computers, that life that is out there speaks to us right here in the Bible. And so there is intelligent life out there, extraterrestrial, if you will. Uh, we're talking about God, the, the Almighty, the All-Knowing, the Creator of the universe. And He speaks to us. And, and we have the opportunity to know what this intelligent life in the universe has to say to us because he has revealed himself to us in the Bible. For a few moments this morning, what we want to talk about is why we should study the Bible and how we should do it. This is a message from God. It ought to be very special to us and ultimately important to us to know what God has said. So we're going to spend just a few minutes this morning, as we have started a new year and as we're trying to emphasize for us all that we spend more time in Bible reading and study we're going to spend a few minutes talking about why we should study the Bible and then some simple pointers about how we ought to do it effectively. Before we get to that, we stop here just for a minute to say thanks to all who are here. We appreciate the fact that you've come this morning, uh, very much so. We have visitors with us and we're glad that you've come our way. Um, there's a lot of sickness. A lot of people are out with different ailments and so forth. Uh, we keep those in mind. We miss them and we hope that, that you will be well. But we appreciate your presence here very much this morning as we seek to worship God. Here we are on the very first Lord's Day of the new year, and we've encouraged us all just just make the point. This is just the first of, of the rest of the year. We're going to be present every time we have an opportunity to assemble. Thanks for being here this morning. So why study the Bible and how should we do it? Let's start out with the first question simply being why. Why should we study the Bible? We put a lot of emphasis on that. and We're constantly urging people to do that. Why? What's the big deal? Why is it so important? Well, first of all, it's how we know the mind of God. Uh, God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's ever-present. We really need to know what's on his mind. And the Bible supplies that information to us. Now, you remember the parallel we were drawing just a moment ago? If there's intelligent life out in the universe, we want to know what they have to say. Okay. Well, here is intelligent life. This is the all knowing, all powerful God who created the whole universe. Why shouldn't we be especially interested to know what He has to say? And He speaks to us in His Word. In the text that Trent read for us just a few moments ago from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 9. As it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them to us by his Spirit, for the Spirit speaketh searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Now notice this argument starting right here. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Now stop there for a minute. What's he saying? What's Paul arguing? Paul is arguing basically, you can't read my mind. I can't read your mind. Now, sometimes people imagine themselves to be mind readers and know what's on other people's mind. But the fact of the matter is you cannot successfully know what's on another person's mind. You can't read minds. That's what Paul's saying. In man's mind, he says, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Well, you can't read God's mind either. And you wouldn't have any idea to know what he's thinking about he says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things which are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things to spiritual. Paul says, we're speaking the words that have been given to us by the spirit of God. So, put that together now. You cannot know what's on the mind of the creator unless he chooses to tell you. Thankfully, He's chosen to tell you. And it's revealed here in the words that the Spirit gave to these inspired men who wrote our Bibles. And so why should I study the Bible? Because in the Bible, I have the mind of God revealed. I can know what He wants me to do. I can know how He wants me to live. I can understand what He expects from me. That is so important. Why should I study the Bible then? Because that crucial, most crucial Information is there's nothing. There's no other information in all the world as important as this information. Study your Bibles. We also should study our Bibles because it provides the only information we have about how we can be saved. And ultimately, that's the only thing that really matters. Nothing else matters. Everything else is going to fade and pass away. The only thing that matters is whether I'm saved eternally or not. When you boil it all down, that is the most important. Crucial matter, will I be saved? Now, the fact of that matter is that I can't figure that out on my own, how to be saved. In Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. So, Jeremiah is saying you just can't stumble along here and figure it out on your own. Now, you might do that with some things. Maybe your car is acting up. And you might stumble along and figure out what's wrong with it and... and, fix it so it runs right again. Or maybe your computer is fouling up and it's not working right. And you might be lucky, probably not, but you might just stumble on to what is the problem and get your computer fixed, but it's not going to happen with your soul. You're not just going to accidentally be able to stumble on to the what you need to do in order to be saved. In fact, that's just destined for failure. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25, there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You try to go on your own, and you are not going to succeed. The reason being is we have to have truth. John 8, verse 32, Jesus said, You shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. We studied this morning in our Bible class here in the auditorium, Pilate asking the question, What is truth anyway? Well, truth is God's Word. John seventeen seventeen. Sanctify them through thy truth. Notice, thy Word is truth. Here's the truth. The truth will make us free God's Word is that truth. And so again, the reason why we should study the Bible is because right here is the the only information that we have about what to do to be saved. It's from God. We should want to know what He has to say. We should want to know His mind. He's revealed to us what we must do to be saved. Study the Bible to learn that and to live that. We should also study our Bibles because it helps us have the best life here and now uh i'm convinced that a lot of people think, and maybe even some Christians act like i'm going to do this, and it's just a horrible drudgery i mean there's no happiness to it here at all. this is just misery that i'm going to drudge along i'm gonna i'm gonna just i'm gonna suck it up and just live it though I don't like it and it's miserable and it's awful and because I want to go to heaven. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna to try to make it through this miserable existence so that I can't go to heaven. That's just absolutely a wrong way of thinking. In First Timothy chapter four, the Apostle Paul says, Bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and notice the life that now is, and of that which is to come. And so Paul is saying here Well, I hope our own experience has borne out. Living the way God reveals in His Word not only gives us the hope of going to heaven when this life is over, but makes our life the best it can be right now. As I say, our own experience ought to prove that to us because we've all witnessed failures not only in our own lives but in the lives of others. And when you think about some people who just abandon the Scriptures and just live for this moment to gratify themselves in this present world, what do you see typically happens to those people? They bring upon themselves all kind of heartache and grief. There's no real happiness in that sort of a lifestyle. But on the other hand, we have also known people who've lived for God, who've devoted themselves to living as God reveals in the Scriptures. And we've seen them live happy, fulfilled, satisfying lives. We can, have the, we can have heaven in eternity. We can have the best life now. And for those reasons, we ought to study the Scriptures. So three simple reasons. Why? Study the Bible. To know the mind of God. To know what to to be saved. To have the best life even now. How many more arguments do we need to put before you? How much more should we have to say to persuade you to say, yeah, I want all of that. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to study it regularly. We started our Bible reading calendar schedule this this last Monday. We're five days in. You're not too far behind to get started on that if you want to. There's time to catch up. Don't get too far behind because you'll grow discouraged and just quit. But if you've not already started reading regularly uh, and studying the Scriptures faithfully, make that a, a part of this new year. You will not be sorry for doing that. So, again, I think there's lots of reasons. We would probably expand that list significantly why to study the Bible, but those reasons in and of themselves should surely be enough. Let's talk about, then, not only why we should study the Bible, but let's just talk about some simple guidelines as to how to study successfully. The first point that we would make about successful Bible study is that it needs to be done regularly. You need to study the Bible regularly, not just off and on, hit or miss, but study it regularly. We do that about lots of things. We devote ourselves to reading. Lots. In fact, I was doing a little checking about re- reading text messages. Do you know how much reading of text messages goes on these days? I, I've got a few numbers here for you. Did you know that in the United States, 69,000 text messages are sent every second, every second? 69,000 text messages per second. Now, this is a number I couldn't quite get my head around. The average adult American, average adult American, spends 23 hours per week reading and sending text messages. That's hard. That's that's almost hard for me to believe. Maybe a teenager might do that. It's hard to believe that the average American adult does it. 23 hours a week sending and receiving text messages. Here's the number. In the age group 18 to 24 years old, the average 18 to 24-year-old sends 67 text messages a day and receives back almost the same number. So uh, over 120 texts back and forth every day. I'll tell you now, I just don't have time to read my Bible. I, don't have, I just don't have time for it. I just don't have time to read the Bible. Well, you know what I could do? I could turn off my telephone and stop sending and receiving text messages and I'd have almost 23 hours a week to read my Bible if I'm an average American. You don't have time. you got time. And you are very regular about reading your text messages. I want to tell you, those messages that you're getting in your text don't even hold a candle in comparison to the importance of the message that's been sent to us from God Get off the phone and read your Bible. Can we say it any plainer than that? Read your Bible. Read it regularly. We've got the Bible reading calendar. I think it's a good one. Uh, But there are plenty of other plans that you can use to to devote yourself to regular Bible study. You know, in America, everybody has a Bible. Ninety-five percent of Americans have at least one Bible. But almost no American uses his Bible regularly and successfully and efficiently. Let's break that trend. Read your Bible. Read it regularly. In Psalm 1, beginning verse 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate, notice, day and night. Now, Paul says, or excuse Paul, uh, uh, the psalmist says, That the blessed man devotes himself to considering God's law, meditating upon it day and night, which would certainly uh, indicate regularity and consistency in doing that. In Acts chapter uh, seventeen verse eleven, Acts seventeen eleven, you know this verse: the noble Bereans, as contrasted to the Thessalonians, the noble Bereans. It says these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word uh, with all readiness of mind and search the Scriptures daily, whether those things were so. These were noble people. And what made them noble was that they were willing to consider and devote themselves to constant, regular consideration of the things in God's Word. And so our first principle uh, when it comes to studying the Bible effectively is just make it a regular practice. And we definitely can and should do that. Let me suggest also that we need to properly understand the divisions of the Bible. I think one of the biggest sources of confusion from people who uh, just casually pick up the Bible is that they do not recognize that the Bible has distinct divisions within it. And the most obvious of them is between the Old Testament and the New Testament. All the Bible is from God. There's valuable information in all of, of the Bible but we need to understand, while it's all from God and it's instructive for us, not all of it is law for us to live by. Uh, and, and we understand that. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people don't. But we talk often about the divisions of the Scripture and especially about the old law and the fact that it's been abolished, that we live under the New Testament law of Christ. In Colossians 2, verse 14, beginning, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of the holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath day. This section right here, of course, that describes elements of the law of Moses, right? And we're not to be judged about those things anymore. Why? Because Jesus nailed that old law to his cross. That Old Testament law, it was from God. And there's still incredibly valuable information for us there. We study it. We should study it. But when it comes to our law to live by, we live under the New Testament law of Christ. In fact, Paul even said in Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, whosoever you are justified by the law, he's talking about the law of Moses there. If you go back and try to live under that law of Moses, if you try to bind that law of Moses, he says you are fallen from grace. Uh, now, we, we understand that, but I, I'm convinced that a vast majority of people do not understand the clear divisions of the Bible. And if you're going to study it successfully, you've got to get that in clearly in your mind. Because if you don't, you're just going to sort of have a mishmash of conflicting information. Uh, the Old Testament would tell you to do one thing. The New Testament tells you to do something else. What's right? Well, understand, we live under that New Testament law, not the Old Testament law. So properly understand the divisions of the Bible if you're going to study it successfully. Also, observe who speaks and to whom it is spoken. Uh, this is really important in any communication. In any communication, who's speaking, who's being spoken to, that's that's crucial. We, we've kind of come to learn that with text messages or emails. If you get the number or the address on an email or a text message wrong, if, if the from and to is not Accurate, then the communication breaks down. We know that, but that's true of any communication, and it's also true of Bible communication. Uh, so observe who's speaking and to whom are they speaking? For instance, did you know that the scripture says, "Curse God and die." So is, is that what we ought to do? Curse God and die? Well no, we understand there in job chapter two, verse seven, we won't read all that, but you understand that was job's wife who said that. As Job was being severely afflicted, his wife, and she was wrong to do so, but his wife urged him, even tempted him, cursed God and died. Well, that wasn't from God, and certainly not for us. That's not an instruction for us. You see how there, in a simple example, if you're not careful observing who speaks, to whom they're speaking, you could end up with a terribly wrong conclusion. Or how about Acts chapter 4, verse 18? They commanded them not to speak nor teach in the name of Jesus. What? We're not supposed to uh, to speak or teach about Jesus. Well, you remember, of course, that this was the Jewish leadership that was trying to get the apostles to stop preaching about Jesus. And so the scripture says that don't don't speak or teach about Jesus. That's in the Bible, but that's certainly not instruction for us to follow, right? And again, so observe who's speaking, to whom they're speaking, if you're going to make sense of, of the scriptures. Or how about this? being assembled together, this is Acts 1, verse 4, being assembled together with them, commanded, so this is a command, here's a command of Scriptures, that they should not depart, should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized water, but, with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. Don't leave Jerusalem, don't depart from Jerusalem. a command, don't depart from me. I've never even been to Jerusalem, much less stay there, Obviously, this is not for me that them to whom, to whom these words were spoken were the apostles. And they were instructed to wait in Jerusalem until they were baptized with, by the way, baptized with the Holy Ghost. This wasn't, that wasn't for me either, right? Holy Spirit baptism wasn't for everybody. This statement was directed to the apostles, not to us. So the statement, stay in Jerusalem, was to them. And the information about being baptized with the Holy Spirit was also for them, not for us. You see the importance of just carefully observing who speaks and to whom they are speaking. Another simple principle of Bible study is watch the context. Have you ever had someone take a statement that you made and take just a phrase or an expression of something that you said, take it out of context, and then try to suggest that you'd said something that you didn't say, oh, maybe even the outcome of that was that what they were in trying to suggest about your, you is that you said the exact opposite of what you said. That's the danger. If people want to take your words out of context, they can really, they can really present a scenario that's totally false and, and try to say something about you that's absolutely not true. The same thing is is also possible with the Bible if if you take things out of context you can get the Bible to say things that were never intended if you're willing to take verses or phrases or statements out of context and so when we study the Bible it's very important for us to to study the immediate context of, of a statement or a verse and then also To study the larger context of the whole Bible because the Bible doesn't contradict itself. Study the immediate context. Study the broader context of the whole Bible because if you don't do that, you're likely going to get a mistaken idea. Watch the context. Uh, The classic example, I've shown this one. You've seen this one before from other people as well. The classic example of how you could put together an argument by just snatching things out of context Matthew 27, verse 3, Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself, and he cast down the pieces of the silver and departed and went out and hanged himself. So Judas went out and hanged himself. Luke 10, verse 37, Jesus said to him, Go and do thou likewise. You you need to go do that too. And then in John 13, verse 27, What thou doest, do quickly. All right, so here's my argument. You're supposed to go out and hang yourself And you're supposed to do it quickly. Everybody ready to sign on to that? (laughs) Obviously not, right, but that's ridiculous, right? That's just a ridiculous illustration. But you see what you could do if you wanted to piece together things out of their context, right? What a conclusion you could reach. Well, in a more practical illustration of that, think of this. When Paul and Silas were speaking to the Philippian jailer. They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus, uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, in thy house. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what they told him concerning salvation. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And some people would latch on to that and say, Therefore, all you have to do to be saved is just have faith. Just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. But In another place, in James 2, verse 24, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Now, I want to tell you, those two statements cannot be contradictory in the Word of God. They just can't be. The Word of God does not contradict itself. Therefore, these works that a man must do are works of obedience, and this belief that a man must have is a faith that produces action. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, In this account here in Acts chapter 16, you remember the next verses talk about the Philippian jailer going out in the same hour of the night being baptized. Paul and Silas weren't suggesting faith without works. Yes, we're saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, but that faith must be a faith that goes to work, a faith of action, a faith of obedience. By works a man is justified, not by faith only. Now you see how we've, we've put the whole context of the Scripture together there to get that answer? If this was, if, if this verse right here was the only one we had that described what we must do to be saved, then we could teach faith-only salvation. But it's not the only one. If you want to snatch that out of context and try to teach that position, you're going to be wrong. You're going to have to get that within its immediate context and within the broader context of the Scripture if you're going to have the right conclusion. Real quickly, here's another example from Revelation chapter 20 beginning verse 1. I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent which is the devil and Satan and bound him a thousand years, oh a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit. I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. You know what I'm talking about here, right? We're talking about the the false theory of premillennialism. And actually, this passage is the only place in the whole Scripture that talks about a thousand-year reign. But how should we understand that? Should we understand, like some of our denominational friends teach, that Jesus is going to come back and set up a thousand-year reign on earth, a physical kingdom on earth? Premillennialism, should we believe that from this text? Well, let's just look at the immediate context first. In the immediate context, it talks about a bottomless pit. Is that, could that be literal? Could you literally have a bottomless pit? No. You're going to dig a real deep hole, but every hole you dig is going to have a bottom in it. There could not literally be a bottomless pit. And then it talks about a great chain to bind Satan with. Could you bind Satan with a literal chain? No. Satan's a spirit being. You can't bind a spirit being with a physical chain. This, The context of this clearly suggests that this is a figurative passage, right? Not to be taken literally. And so when they come down here and talk about the thousand years and they want that to be literal, they're snatching out of the immediate context and and attempting to make a literal application of the thousand years when the context, when the immediate context clearly suggests this is figurative, not literal. And then, of course, when you link that with a verse that we were studying in our lesson this morning here in the adult uh, Bible class in the auditorium, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence." So when we look at the immediate context, And when we look at the broader context of the Scripture, we understand that that statement there in Revelation could not be suggesting a literal reign on earth by Jesus. You see the idea. Watch the context. The danger is, as Peter wrote, 2 Peter 3, verse 16, as also in all his epistles speaking, and he's talking about Paul, Paul speaking in them of these things in which some things are hard to be understood which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures to their own destruction. The problem is that people are twisting the scriptures. We say they twist the scriptures. And Peter says they rest the scriptures. And when you do that, you're going to come to wrong conclusions. You're not going to get the truth that God wants you to know. Watch the context. And then finally, let me suggest, just use good common sense. It seems reasonable that we should use the thinking minds that God has given us, use common sense when it comes to understanding what God has said to us as we study the Scriptures. Use common sense. I'll give you one quick illustration of this. Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, beginning verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Born again. That's an important statement. How do you be born again? Nicodemus said... How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. How do, how do some folks explain how... We've got a lot of friends who are Baptists who believe you don't have to be baptized in water to be saved from sin. When we suggest this passage to them, they say that this water right here is the water of natural childbirth. And so that's their explanation. That's how they get water out of this text. They say, well, Jesus Jesus was talking about the water of natural childbirth. No, Jesus was talking about not being born the first time. He was talking about being born again. He wasn't talking about being born the first time. And by the way, Nicodemus says, does this have anything to do with being born from your mother's womb? And Jesus basically said, no, it's not about that. It's about being born of water. You see how you just use common sense? If you just use common sense, that passage lines out pretty easily, doesn't it? If you don't use common sense, you come up with this this false idea that Jesus was talking about the water of natural childbirth. That's how to get water, baptism, out of the... No, that's just not even logical, is it? When we look at that passage. There's lots of other examples we could cite there. What we need to do is use good common sense. So, we need to study the Bible. And we just need to follow some very simple rules to study the Bible effectively. Uh, It's so important. And hopefully as we begin this new year, we'll be seriously devoted to studying the Word of God. We're We're going to sing a song of invitation as we bring the lesson to a close. And we'll just be asking you, have you studied your Bible? Do you understand from it what God wants you to do? Are you not yet there? You know what God wants you to do, but you're not there yet. That may be because you've learned what you must do to be saved, but you haven't obeyed that simple gospel plan. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of sins. If that's the situation, we hope you'll remedy that. We'd be glad to assist you in your obedience. We'd be glad to study more with you. Just say a word. If you're not a Christian yet, we hope you'll make that decision. If you're a Christian already, but you've not been faithful to your Lord, we beg you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing.